Amen. Thank you again for being with us. You may be seated. I mentioned earlier, I'll say again, my name is Craig Thompson and I'm the senior pastor here and it is our distinct privilege to have you with us. I know that we probably have a number of you here this morning for baptism and uh, for other reasons and for, for those of you who are guests, just thank you so much. I know you could be other places and you've chosen to be here with us and I just want to thank you for that this morning. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4. As you're turning, let me mention two things. Number one, and Adam may have mentioned all of this. I, I was in the back, so I didn't hear. Number one, next Sunday we have deacon ordination and installation. So we have five new deacons, two to be ordained, uh, one to be installed for the very first time here at Malvern Hill, and two others who have been deacons here in the past. Please be here. We do deacon installation ordination on Sunday morning. It is cumbersome to do that on Sunday morning. Some churches do not, but we believe, I believe, that it is important um, at, to the uttermost for the church to know who those people are that are, that are being set apart to, to, to lead and to serve in the church. And so we will do that during the Sunday morning worship service. So I hope that you'll be here with us for that. Also, and did, I don't know, did you mention this or not, Adam? We need help in the children's department. Um, I know y'all are probably tired of hearing us say that, but if y'all would step up and help, we could quit. Um, I, I did something I never do this morning. I finished baptism and I walked over there and uh, oh my gracious, it was terrifying. So um, uh, just the, the nursery, there, there's just kids everywhere. Uh, y'all have heard me say this. I'm going to say it to you. Let me, let me, I don't know if I've said this. Let me tell you this. Children's Sunday was an exceptionally uh, large Sunday for our church. It's always very full and we have an exceptional number of children who are here. By exceptional, I mean just a few more than normal. But on Children's Sunday, 42% of our congregation was 18 or under. 42%. On any given Sunday, 33 to 35% of our congregation is 18 or under. That means that on many Sundays, and based on the number of people that were in this place this morning, let me just give you some ideas of what we're talking about. We're talking about somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 elementary school children who are with us on Sunday mornings. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 40 preschoolers, so 4K and under, who were in our building this morning. I'm just throwing that out. Um, that, that really depends. Did y'all have more than 10 this morning? If y'all had more than 10, then we probably had 30 to 40 preschoolers um, in our building this morning. So just do the math and figure out what we're looking at this morning. This crowd, we probably got 330 people here this morning. And somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 to 130 of them are, are 18 or under. We need you, okay? I know you love your life groups, and I'm thrilled to death. We're going to be launching a new life group in a few weeks, and I'm so excited for that. I know that you love being in there and learning, but folks, we desperately need you. There's some openings right now in our children's department and during the life group hour. If you can serve in there, find Rhonda. If you can't find her, find me. If you can't find me, find Kevin or Adam or Buster and say, I want to do it. We will write your name down and make sure that you get placed where you need to be. All right? Okay, that's the commercial. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now listen, I don't want you to tune me out this morning. And I'm going to walk you through and you're going to see what I'm talking about in just a minute, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Uh, please stand with me in honor of God's word. Now this is Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy. And Paul, this is the last letter of Paul. 
Now we're going to see on the back side of this, there, um, after verse 9 and, follow, Paul, and following, Paul says, Timothy, do your best to get to me. I'm dying. I don't have long. Bring some things. Bring my books. Bring my stuff. Bring me a coat because I'm cold. But more than anything, Timothy, get yourself here. Everybody else has left me. I'm all by myself. I need you. Okay? But before he gets to that point, he gives Timothy these last words. And you know, generally the last words are the ones you want to cling to. And this is what he says. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would show us what it is to rightly preach your word, and what it is as a church to expect the right and true preaching of your word, Father God, and even more than teaching us what it is, Lord God, would you apply this gospel message into our hearts. Change us, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Now look, we're going to have a quiz. Okay? I just need you to raise your hand if you ever did this. Did you ever, have you ever, maybe in high school or in college, the first day of class, how many of you ever wandered into the wrong classroom? Okay, good, some of you. Maybe you attended a conference somewhere and you wandered into the wrong room. Any of you ever done that? Somebody? Yeah? Okay. There's going to come a point in time this morning when you're going to go, I don't think this class is for me. Okay? It's going to be like in in college, you wander in and you sat down. This actually never happened to me, okay, but uh, that I can remember. I should clarify, I can't remember this ever happening to me. But it it happens every year at the beginning of the semester. I loved it. You'd sit down and then you'd wait. And you'd wait. You'd wait for the professor to come in and the professor would introduce himself or herself and say, you know, this is English 101. My name is Dr. Thompson. Is there anybody in here who has not signed up for English 101 with Dr. Craig Thompson? In that moment, some people look around and they pack their stuff up and they just scurry right on out the door. Then, lo and behold, they'd pass out the syllabus. And some other people would look at the syllabus and go, oh, this ain't what I thought I signed up for. They'd pack up their stuff and they'd slide right on out the door, never to be heard from again. I don't know where they went, but they didn't come back. Listen, this morning, we're talking about preaching and what the right preaching of God's word is it's going to be tempting for some of you to go oh well this isn't my class let me just walk away folks listen to me we're going to be looking at over the period of the next five five more weeks so four after today we started last week with prayer and this morning we're talking about expositional preaching and teaching what we're focusing on right now 
It's what are the key components to a healthy church? What are those puzzle pieces that make up the healthy church? We said last week that prayer is the hub upon which all of this turns. Okay? But a healthy church necessarily includes strong biblical preaching and teaching. And if you're going to benefit as much as you possibly can from strong biblical teaching and preaching, you need to know what it is, what to expect, and how to listen to it well. You also need to know that there might come a point in time when the Lord decides for whatever reason to transfer you to a whole new city. And you need to find a new church home. You need to know what in the world you're looking for. I even shared with y'all on a Sunday night a few weeks ago, just a reminder that we're all only here for a short period of time. I talk about this as my pulpit, but the reality is this is Malvern Hill's pulpit. And the day will come when Craig Thompson doesn't stand behind. I guess more of a podium. We should really get a big one that I can like beat on, you know. Um, the time will come when I'm not the guy standing behind it. Okay? Maybe I'll be 85 years old and I'll just finally decide to retire and the only people that are listening to me right now that will even still be here are like 12. But regardless, when that time comes, you need to know what it is to find a good pastor. What is biblical preaching? And finally this morning, I believe from the bottom of my heart that every inch and ounce of God's Word is intended for every believer in Jesus Christ. Every sentence, every jot and tittle, as Jesus said, every period, comma, and exclamation point is for every single one of Jesus' followers. And so this morning, as we consider what it is that makes up a healthy church, and as you uh, engage with me on a journey of what biblical, expositional teaching and preaching... By the way, we got that big word, expositional. I should explain what that means, shouldn't I? I'll come back to that in a minute. But I just want you to know that from the bottom of my heart, I believe that this passage of Scripture is for you just as much as it is for me because all of God's Word is given for all of God's people. Amen? All right. So let's jump right in. Um, don't leave. You're not in the wrong class. You're exactly where God intended for you to be today. First is some definitions. What is expositional? That just means that we're going to exposit the Word of God. Expositional preaching is a big word that just means we're going to God's Word and we're taking our main point and our subpoints as much as possible. And the theme of that sermon is coming from God's Word. In other words, it's, it's different from what we might call topical preaching. I'm not going to come up with an idea that I want to preach to you about and then run to the Word of God and try and find like 15 different passages to support that. Instead, we're going to go to a passage of Scripture. Now, generally, the pattern of preaching here at Malvern Hill Baptist Church is far more expositional than you're even seeing right now. Because generally what we're going to do is we're going to take a, an entire book of the Bible or a large section of the Bible and we're going to exposit that um, systematically week to week to week. So we've been in the book of Mark for an extended period of time. On the back end of this sermon series, we're going to be in the book of Jonah. And then we're going to come back around and finish Mark in, uh, beginning in 2020. Okay, um, in, in, in Christmas, we're going we're gonna to be focused on, on God's gift to us in Jesus and in evangelism. It's going to be wonderful. I'm pretty excited about that just with the theme of John 3.16 carrying us through the entire Advent season. But for this sermon series, what we're doing is we're actually looking at some of the key markers for the church. And with those six things, we are going to pull different passages of Scripture that speak to each one of those. So we're taking more of a systematic approach. But this morning, we're focused on preaching and teaching now, the big question you have in there is, are you ready? 
And if you looked at that, you went, what does that even mean? Is that what it says? I hope so. That's what I wrote down. Some of you are looking at me very confused. That's what it was supposed to say. I apparently had a typo. Are you ready? Okay? What do I mean by that? Are you ready to receive God's Word? Are you ready to sit under the preaching and the teaching of God's Word? What does it say? Y'all are looking at me really bad. I don't even have that with me. What is biblical preaching? We'll go with that too. Could we edit that out later? Just, just pretend none of that happened. No? Let's jump in. What is biblical preaching and teaching? And are you ready to receive it? Are you ready to hear it? The first thing you see this morning, now this is the longest outline that some of you have ever seen from me, so I don't want you to sweat. Uh, when, when we looked at this in the office this week, Kevin looked at me and said, how long are we going to be here? I said, it, it, we're, we're going to make it through. So we don't have three points this morning. We have six and a conclusion. The first thing about preaching and what biblical preaching is, is, is the who. We're going to look at this just like you were writing an article for a newspaper. First, we're going to answer the question of who. Who in the world is preaching about? First question that we answer that is that preaching is about God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Preaching is about the triune God and nothing else. When Paul writes to Timothy, he says, I charge you, in, in some translations, I solemnly charge you, or I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. He essentially calls God as his witness. He, he takes it in a formal setting. He says, I'm formally charging you to do this, Timothy. And as I formally charge you to do this, I want you to know that I'm calling God and Jesus Christ as my witness. This isn't just Paul's words, Timothy. This, he believes, comes directly from the Word of God. He says, preach the God. Preach the gospel. In the, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and is appearing, preach the Word. First, about whom Timothy is charged to preach God and Jesus Christ. John Piper wrote a little book titled, God is the Gospel. What did he mean by that book? He meant that the gospel, that, that God's uh, character is wrapped up and, and is most clearly revealed on the, on the cross of Jesus Christ. In the gospel of Jesus, in his death, burial, and resurrection, we most clearly see the personality, the characteristics of who God is. God is revealed to us as a God who is both just and loving and merciful. And he has overcome death, hell, and the grave. And all that takes place there in the gospel. So who do we preach about? We preach about God. And we preach about Jesus. And we preach about and through and in the power of the Holy Spirit. God is the subject matter of every single sermon that we will ever preach. Now that doesn't mean that every single sermon becomes a Sunday school answer. We just stand up and say, Jesus... But it does mean that if God is not the central theme, you've done something, but you have not preached. Do you understand? You have not preached. There was an article just this week about a church in New York City. I know it's going to surprise you that it was there. That it had a sermon series on climate change. Y'all, if it's not about Jesus, it is not a sermon. Period. Period. Second, to whom do we preach? And this is important. We preach to people. To which people? To Christians only? No. To the elect only? No. To the gathered church only? No. We preach to all who will hear. Who do we preach to? We preach to everybody. But it's important for this to be, to be remembered. Unless there is an audience, there's really no preaching that took place. Now, I do occasionally still, all these years in, I, I occasionally practice certain parts of my sermon 
I, I, nobody ever sees this. I, I don't do it if anybody's in the office because I still get embarrassed about it if somebody were to hear me like in the back. I'm just standing up here um, in front of the pulpit and, and reading. I, I love to stand up here when nobody's in here and just read God's word out loud. But again, I, I, it's almost never when people are in the building because if they walk in, they're going to think I'm talking to myself and who knows. Do you know that when I stand up and I read the word in here or I preach it, I'm not preaching a sermon. I may be practicing, but if nobody's hearing it, what am I actually doing? I'm reciting it. I'm getting ready. But unless there are people here to hear it, I've not preached a word. So there's the necessity that we keep in mind that we are preaching to people. But to which people? Pastors need to keep in mind the audience to whom they preach. What does that mean? That means that if I'm preaching to a group of middle schoolers, I preach differently than I would if I'm preaching to a gathered body here. If I'm preaching even to a different kind of church, maybe a church that's made up predominantly of blue-collar folks or a church made up predominantly of white-collar folks, I may preach differently. I don't preach a different word, you understand. But in a farming and agrarian community, they're going to understand illustrations that come from that kind of background. I can talk about uh, a tractor. I can talk about corn. Or I can talk about planting this or planting that. Whereas if I'm preaching in, a, in an urban setting, they can't understand any of those things. Okay? So we preach not only to people, we preach to a specific people. So we preach the revelation of God to real people. Therefore, those real people must be a part of the sermon preparation. We don't prepare lectures for our own benefit. We can't just stand up and present a litany list of facts and call it preaching. Preaching has God as its subject and aim, but it has people as its gathered audience. Folks, we've got to keep this in mind. That unless there is God in the middle of it, we've done something, but we have not preached. So who? We preach about and to the glory of God the Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And we preach to all who will be within the sound of our hearing. But we've got to make sure that we don't just preach over them, we preach to them. We give you an insight into what sermon preparation looks like. That means... That means that as I write my messages, it is absolutely true that I often have individuals in this congregation in my mind. Now, does that mean that necessarily I preached to you last week? No, not necessarily. It might be that the Lord had somebody, that I had somebody else in mind, but the Lord had you in mind as He was bringing those things into my mind. Okay? And this is why one of the things that I urge young preachers to do is not to preach to people, but to preach to individuals. Okay, this is about making eye contact, but also in the preparation process. It's amazing how the, the, the prayer over a sermon is impacted as you take time to carefully consider who is it that might benefit most from this passage of Scripture. Who do you know that's struggling with this particular thing? And to pray, Lord God, please apply this into their life. Okay, so to whom or about whom? God is always the subject matter. Okay, and people are always the audience. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. So when somebody says, I only preach for an audience of one, they're not doing biblical and faithful preaching. Because God has at His heart the salvation of sinners. And if I'm only preaching to Him and I'm not preaching to them, I ain't bringing anybody to Jesus. Now, y'all going to have to let that sink in. Some of y'all seem offended by that. But you better be thankful that somebody preached to you a long time ago and gave you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, what? What do we preach? The gospel, period, in every single sermon. I love this one. Well, I'm thinking about finding a new church because I just need more meat. What does that mean? 
my pastor preaches on the gospel every week and I got tired of hearing it. Folks, if you got tired of hearing the gospel, you probably aren't saved. Why? Because we should never get over the gospel. Do you know what the gospel is? That you are dead in your sins and transgressions. And God is rich in mercy. And he has brought about salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. He's called you from your sin and set you on the solid rock that is Jesus Christ. Man, how do we get tired of telling that story? I'm going to go this weekend for my 20th high school reunion. I'm bracing myself to hear all of the old stories, right? It's going to happen. Somebody's going to have the story about when they did this or when so-and-so did that. And we're going to rehash those stories from 20 years ago. Folks, why do we get tired of the story of God saving us from our sin? Every single sermon has to be about the gospel. Every time to all people. Now, we've got to be true to the text. This sermon this morning is about preaching. And so I'm going to make sure that I'm very clear about what it is that the text says. But I can't get past what Charles Spurgeon said one time. He was asked by a young man. He said, you've got to always get to the gospel. And this young man said, but what if the passage of Scripture isn't about the gospel? Spurgeon said every passage of Scripture is about the gospel. He said, in, in England, every road leads to London. He says, you might not be able to find it right away. You might have to jump hedge and ditch to find it, but you keep working until you find your way back to London. And he said, in every passage of Scripture, there is a road that leads to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to preach the gospel, and every sermon has to have a gospel call in it. The promise of God's love. The acknowledgement of your sin, but the hope of salvation for all time. We've got to be there. So what is it? It's got to be the Word of God. The Word of God, and in that Word is impregnated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every page speaks to Him. When Paul says, in all seasons. Be ready in every season. We have to be true. <coughs> Sorry. What if people don't want to hear it? Preach anyway. What if the ground is hard? Preach anyway. What if there's a hurricane? Preach anyway. We had to put a tent up in the sanctuary to preach one time. This time last year, I'm preaching. There's a tent in the balcony. Because the Word of God deserves to be preached. Now, I want you to understand that in, in the original situation here, more than likely what Paul's talking about is Timothy's encounters with philosophers of his day. He's in the city of Ephesus. And in those times, there would be occasions where they would just gather together to, 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 to debate. Man, I would, I would, would, Kevin, wouldn't we love this just to live in a time when people just decide they were going to get together and have like public debates? It'd be so much fun. We don't have those days anymore. Well, I mean, somewhere I guess they do, but I, it's uh, just a good argument just for fun, right? And that's what they would do. They would get together and they would hear. But there was this, this common knowledge in these philosophical circles that if the ground is hard, don't, don't give them your words. In other words, if the people don't seem interested in hearing, just keep your mouth shut. There was this idea of there was a season for giving the truth and a season for withholding it. Paul says to Timothy, it's not for you to decide whether or not people are going to hear it. It's not even for you to decide whether or not they need to hear it. Paul says, in season and out of season, you be ready to give the gospel of Jesus Christ. You preach the word, Timothy, over and over and over again. But what if it's a church that doesn't respond to the word of God? You preach it anyway. But what if somebody's angry about it? You preach it anyway. But what if it's hard? You preach it anyway. But what if I don't feel like it? You preach it anyway. 
I'd love to tell y'all that every Sunday I've ever woken up as your pastor, I've looked forward to the privilege and the joy of preaching to you on Sunday mornings. But the reality is there have been Sundays when if that had been up to me, I probably could have just rolled over in the bed and covered my head up and pretended like y'all didn't exist and I didn't have a job. But the Word of God doesn't give me that privilege. Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, preach the Word. Preach it. When it's convenient, when it's inconvenient. When it's fun, when it's not fun. When it's easy, when it's hard. Preach the Word. I'm excited about what God's doing in our church, y'all. The fact that we continue to see baptism after baptism, it, it, it's mind-blowing. We're seeing things happen that thrills my soul. I see marriages that are being put back together. I see divisions that are being mended. All those things are wonderful, but what about those times when it doesn't appear as though God is as actively at work in the congregation here? Folks, listen, when the house is full like it is today, when there's people everywhere, it is fun to preach. It's exciting. It's enjoyable, and to some degree, it's easy. But what about those other times? What do we do? Paul says, preach the Word. Preach the Word. In season or out of season, preach the Word. What if only 35 people show up? Preach the Word. What if six people show up? Preach the word. What if 6,000 people show up? Don't be afraid. Preach the word. David Platt had the unenviable opportunity of the president walking into his church some, year, some months ago. When the president of the United States walks in and has a seat, what do you do? You preach the word. In season and out of season, you preach the word of God. Where do we preach it? Wherever. Wherever. Remember what he said, all seasons? This all seasons, again, not only carried with the idea that sometimes there was this idea that it wasn't always received, it carries with the idea that no matter where you are, okay? If you're in proper company that might not always receive it, the gospel is still worthy to be proclaimed. But this might not be the best place. This is still a great place for Jesus to work in somebody's life. Well, people don't want to hear it. That's okay. Give them the gospel. Give it to them in love. And in grace and in mercy. Y'all, let me remind you that this is not a bludgeon that we hit people over the head with. It doesn't always come across that way because I'm loud. It is an invitation to a relationship with the king of the universe. This is an invitation. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Folks, it's kind of difficult for us to beat somebody up with that message. God loves you, and I want you to know that. There's great hope in that. But where do we do it? Wherever. But let me say this to you. The local church and the worship service and the gathering place, the, gathering, the gathered body of God's people has throughout the history of the Christian faith been the place where the Word of God was going to be preached. We are wrong. We are wrong when we speak of worship as that which our praise team and our choir do, 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 does, does, yes, not do, is that which happens with a microphone in their hand and with instruments. The worship of God's people certainly involves and includes the raised hands of God's people and the raised voices of God's people. It includes the worship on the stringed instruments, on the cymbals and the percussion instruments and all those other things that we read about, especially in the Psalms. But the worship of God's, God's people must also always include the proclamation of the Word of God. 
Why is preaching so imperative? Because we have a preaching God. Don't miss that. If we can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, God spoke the world into being. We could say that God preached the world into being. And it is through the powerful words of God that the world jumped into creation. Listen to me, and that same God who created with his powerful words is the same God who continues to recreate with his powerful words when he saves people from their sin. He continues to be a preaching God. His people have always been a preaching people. Moses didn't want to, but, Paul, but God said, well, somebody's got to speak. Noah preached for how long? Ever, right? That's what it seemed like to him. He built that ark for 100 years. The biggest sermon illustration the world's ever seen. And the whole time, he's hammering nails. They're going, what are you doing up there, you crazy old man? He says, judgment's coming. God's sending rain. They say, what is rain? He says, I'm not sure, but I know it's going to be bad. You better turn. You ever thought for the only time in history, Moses didn't say turn or burn. He said turn or drown. Nobody thought that was funny. Through the prophets, he preached his word. Of course, through Jesus, he preached his word. And he said to Peter, you're Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. And what did Peter do on the day of Pentecost? He preached the word. And the word of God was powerful. And the Holy Spirit of God invaded the people. And Peter's words were infused with the power of God's Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that thousands were added to the church on that day. And they went out and they continued to proclaim, to preach the good news. When do we do it? We do it when we get together as God's people because God is a preaching God. And he's called his people to be a preaching people. And so we gather together and we preach the word of God. Listen to me, as long as I'm your pastor and we gather on Sunday mornings, we're going to preach the word of God. We don't do anything else. There might be other things that happen in this worship service. We're going to preach the word. How many of y'all have come to us in the last like four months? Anybody? It's okay. Oh, you don't want to be embarrassed. I'm sorry. That was rude. Those of you that have and didn't do Easter with us, I'm going to brace you. Easter's going to come around and we're going to do an Easter cantata. Do you know what happens after we do our Easter cantata on Palm Sunday? We preach the word of God because we gather together for the preached word of God. We preach. We preach on Children's Sunday. We preach on Youth Sunday. We preach on Senior Adult Sunday. We preach on Christmas Day when Christmas Day is on a Sunday because the Word of God is to be preached when the people of God gather together. So where? All over in all seasons, but folks, especially in the local church, how do we do it? Phillips Brooks says we preach as a dying man to dying men. Boy, there's a power in that, isn't there? I'm sorry, that was Richard Baxter. Phillips Brooks said that we preach truth through personality. What does that mean? That means if we're going to rightly preach the Word of God, it's got to be authentic. Okay? I know that some of you are about to fall asleep on me. We're going to come around to something here in a minute. Okay? This is important, even if it's hard to hear. But good preaching necessarily involves the personality of the preacher. Good preaching necessarily involves the personality of the preacher. There's a few of you in here right now who God has, has, has called to preach. I know that. There's some of you that are here that, that, are, that are more than able and capable as preachers. Listen to me. You can't stand up and preach my sermon and it still be believable. 
we still, um, Brian and I love to make fun of, of Luke Talbert, and some of you don't even know Luke and Patty, um, but uh, they're, they're missionary friends of ours in Latvia who were with us for a number of years. And Luke was early in his ministry and uh, here, and, and I, I, of course, am very passionate. He's a passionate man, too, but in a different kind of way. And he was preaching, and he, and he came across, or he tried to come across as angry in one of his sermons. And y'all, it was the most unbelievable thing that, I mean, honest and truly, we, it was, it, I felt so bad for him. This has been years ago, but I felt bad because he, he, somebody said, you were trying to look like Craig, but you just didn't pull it off, right? That's just not him. We are so very different. He's got to preach through his personality. You've got to preach through yours because why? It's the Word of God being filtered through a person in a changed life. So when Kevin stands up here and preaches, he's not like me. Because if he tried to be like me, it wouldn't be believable. And if I tried to be like him, it wouldn't be believable. And if I tried to be like somebody else, it wouldn't be believable. It's the Word of God transmitted through a person. It's got to be transmitted through a changed person. Do you know how difficult it is to believe a message that is preached by a person who lives as a hypocrite? Paul gives some more clarification here. He says that it should be preached First, with reproof, he says, reprove. What is to reprove? That's that private, confrontational kind of accountability. Brother, are you, are you following the Lord Jesus? This is pulling your sister in Christ to the side and saying, are you, are you caring well for your children? This is pulling your brother to the side and saying, are you spending time in the Word of God? And he says, rebuke. Rebuke carries with it more of an idea of a public confrontation. This might be what we would do with a false teacher. The reproof is more of a, do you understand? Hey, you might be wrong right here. I think you're wrong. This is what the Word of God says. A rebuke is more public. A rebuke is when, hey, the private thing has gone on. It didn't do anything. It is, hey, we're calling you out and telling you to get your stuff right. A rebuke in, in our world today, a rebuke might be something that would come from a pulpit at, at Malvern Hill, for instance, but have to do with maybe a national leader or something like that. A public rebuke. He says to exhort. That means to encourage. Every sermon shouldn't beat you up. Sometimes they got to dress you up, send you out, urge you forward. How? With patience and teaching. One of the greatest failures I see in young pastors, especially young, but it's not only young, but that I see in pastors is they are so incredibly impatient in preaching the truth to God's people. They, they, they walk into a church and they want to turn the church around and change everything in three months or three years. And folks, I'm telling you, a church that's been there for a long time, it takes a long time. Twelve years in, I'm excited about what, what can happen here at Malvern Hill. I'm excited about how y'all will follow me and, and respond to my preaching. But three years in, nobody, three months in, nobody wanted to hear anything I had to say. You've got to be patient, teaching the Word. Why? Because over time, it's, it's, it's that personality of the person providing a deeper level of authenticity to the message that's preached. It also just is the reality that if, if we, we, we continue to preach with patience and, and long-suffering, that the sermons begin to build up on top of one another. Uh, we had somebody else preach in here um, from a, a few months ago from another church. And this was his, he says, man, they are a great people to preach to. And it's true. You guys are a great church to preach to. Part of that is because through patience and, and, and teeth, teaching and long-suffering, um, not, not really that long-suffering, but just, just the, 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 the patient proclamation of God's Word here. You guys have grown so much in the way that you receive God's Word. I can't preach a 40-minute sermon other places, but I can do it here because most of y'all will sit through it. And then he says, with endurance as an evangelist, as for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering, do the work 
of an evangelist. How must we preach? we got to keep on keeping on. Now listen, this doesn't mean that you should abuse your pastor. Please. But it does mean that a man of God is called to endure. Right? This is Paul writing at the end of his life. You remember the things he'd been through? Whipped, beat, shipwrecked, left to die. And what's he do? He brushes himself off, heals up, goes back and does it all over again. He says, Timothy, as for you. Now watch, I wrote about this week. He says, Timothy, all these other people are falling away. They're chasing after godless myths. They're doing all this other stuff. He's going to go on later and he's going to say, Demas has left me. Chasing after his worldly passions. Others have left. But he says, but as for you, if you could imagine Paul. He's riding, riding, riding. And it's as though in this moment he says, hold up. It would be like Paul sitting there and he's talking to Timothy, talking, talking. And then Paul just turns his chair and says, but you, you endure. Folks, this is the call to preachers of God's word. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. What is the suffering for the sake of the gospel? I, had a, I know a pastor, a pastor friend of mine, about 20 years older than me, but he, he recalls being a part of a church and somebody walked into his office and threw a copy of the Constitution and Bylaws of the church at him and said, this is our Bible. and You will do what it says. He said, I just reached up, put my hand on my Bible. I said, no, sir, this is my Bible and this is what I obey. We endure suffering, whatever that suffering may be, for the cause of the gospel. Why? Who, what, when, where, why? For the glory of God and the good of the world. Don't miss that. Listen up. Listen. It, it's, it's true that I don't just preach for an audience of one. I preach to y'all for His glory. But at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, God must be glorified. And He is glorified through the proclamation of His word. Why? For the upbuilding of the church, for the edification of the saints. You all should leave the preached, present, or the, 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 the preached Word of God being better equipped to do the will of God. You understand? And over a period of time, having sat under the preaching of God's Word, you should look more like Jesus and more in line with God's Word for the upbuilding of the church and for the salvation of sinners. Paul says, do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. The Word of God has to be preached because God has so decided and so deemed that the Word of God, the proclaimed Word of God, would be the primary vehicle through which men, women, boys, and girls would come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, the death of preaching has been predicted for much longer than I've been alive or anybody in this room has been alive. Over and over and over again, we are warned that the church can't continue to preach because preaching is falling by the wayside and people won't listen and they won't endure. Folks, Paul warned about that 2,000 years ago. They're going to have itching ears and they're going to gather up for themselves all sorts of things. They're not going to want to hear it. And Paul says, but even if they don't want to hear it, you keep on preaching it. Why do we keep on preaching it? Because God deserves the glory, because the church needs to be built up, and because for goodness sakes... Men, women, boys, and girls need to be rescued from a certain eternity in hell and they need to have their eternal destination changed. And that comes about through the proclamation of God's Word. Folks, biblical churches are built on the preaching of God's Word. And a church that won't endure the preaching of God's Word won't long be called a church. Biblical churches are built on the preaching of God's Word. And a church that won't endure the preaching of God's Word will not long be deemed a church. 
I've known people that don't like it. I know people that don't like it today, but I'm here to tell you that unless a church is willing to stand on the Word of God and to respond to the Word of God and to encourage the preaching of the Word of God, a church may be a lot of things, but it will not be a church of Jesus Christ. I'm a little passionate about this in case y'all didn't know. And some of you are trying not to check out. And I get it. Because you're not a preacher. And that's fine. But you better be sure that wherever you park your family, there is a preacher of God's Word. You better be sure that you understand what it is to be a preacher of God's Word. Some of you, the Lord is going to call into this preaching of His Word. And you need to know what it is. But the truth of the matter is this. If I'm going to tell you what preaching is and how it ought to be done, I'd be remiss if I didn't honor my own admonition. See, if it's important that preaching be done for God's glory and the upbuilding of the church and the salvation of sinners, I'd be in a mess if I didn't this morning say these words to you. We preach so that God will be glorified and so that you can be changed. We preach because sinners need salvation. Because broken people need hope. And because there are people in this building that need the forgiveness that can only come through Jesus Christ. See, we preach because on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. And upon that cross, my Savior bled and died. You see, we preach because God's Word teaches us that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And that as a result of that sin, all deserve punishment in a very real place called hell. But there is hope in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, we preach because Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And we preach because there is hope. And we preach because if you came here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't have to leave here without a relationship with Jesus Christ. We preach because no matter where you've been or what you've done or what you're caught up in, Jesus continues to be enough to save you. The blood of Jesus is enough to save you. And as I say so many times, I'll say once again, you say, Craig, you don't know what I've been through or what I've done. And I'm here to tell you that I don't care because Jesus paid it all. And His sacrifice is sufficient to cover the sins of every person in this room who would come to Him in salvation. So I ask you this morning, I ask you, would you come today? You know what? I'm not just going to ask you. I want to follow Paul's words to Timothy. I want you to know that as a result of your sin, you are condemned to hell. Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn sinners but that the world through, my, through me might be, might be saved. But why did he say that? Because he said the world stands already condemned. If you've never made a decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you stand today separated from God as a result of your sin. But the promise of God's Word and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that His cross bridges the chasm, the split, the division, the ditch between you and Him. And sinful though you may be, His forgiveness is even greater. Broken though you may be, folks, He will heal you to the uttermost. 
A healthy church is built on prayer and the preaching of God's Word. But the preaching of God's Word is intended for the good of the church and the salvation of sinners and the glory of God. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, please don't leave here without coming to Christ. Perhaps as we sing in just a moment, you would just like to spend some time in prayer. I would invite you to come to this altar and to pray. However it is the Lord may be at work. But make me this promise. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you wouldn't leave here today without making a decision to trust Him with your life. He will not let you down. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you. Lord God, we're so grateful for your love and your grace. Lord, I pray that you'd be at work here. God, you'd call us unto yourself. Lord God, you'd save in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing. Lord, I need you.